Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Gets me back uh, when Rob told me that he was going to be going on sabbatical. And uh, passed some dates by, I said, of course, I'd love to make this work. Uh, as Micah said, I have been um, in Sherwood Park, actually, for three years now. Uh, my family moved up. I grew up in southern Alberta, Tabor, Alberta, to be specific. I was a kid who grew up outside of the church and at about 19 years old, uh, came to faith and got called into ministry right away. Uh, I've served in three different churches since then, one in Calgary, one down in Lethbridge, and now at Sherwood Park. And so I oversee the youth and young adult ministry. Uh, this is exciting to be here. My Two of my youth pastors are back at our home church leading that service there, which is awesome. Uh, so God is good. And so thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me do this. Uh, it's Father's Day. And, you know, we just prayed about, like, authenticity and real and God wants broken people. Uh, my family couldn't be here. I have three little kids, so I am one of the dads in this room. Uh, privileged to know I don't take that for granted at all. Uh, but we, uh, we did breakfast this morning because my son is in a baseball tournament. He's seven, our oldest. And so they've got a game happening right now. They're probably getting smoked big time. They're not good at all. Um, <laughs> we're like the Sandlot team, truly. Like, we just watch these ragamuffin kids just try really hard. Uh, but we decided, let's go to Tutti Frutti in Sherwood Park for breakfast. And so uh, for an hour and a half, we sat there while my daughter screamed the whole time because she had diarrhea all night and had a sore bum today. And so she let the whole place know that her bum was really sore. Uh, my, my, young, my middle son, he fussed the entire time because we wouldn't let him sit in a place where he could see Paw Patrol on the TV in the corner. So that was super awesome. And then my oldest son complained the entire time that he wasn't going to get enough food off the kid's menu because he's like ginormous and then failed to even eat half of his meal. So it was just like a super cool, this is awesome. Hey, happy Father's Day to me while I get to then leave my family and come over here. Uh, but just super excited to be here. Hey, since it's Father's Day, I thought it appropriate uh, of all things to talk about. Maybe we should talk about and tell a, a really great fishing story because dads love fishing right most of the dads in this place uh, maybe can relate some moms I'm not saying that only guys like to fish uh, my daughter loves to fish I love fishing I grew up fishing my dad uh, was an avid fisherman he taught us to love fishing I think that my kids they love fishing because their dad has taught them to love fishing but there's just something about fishing that's just like both really relaxing right? If you're not with little kids, but if it's really relaxing, you're not untangling hooks the whole time. It's really relaxing when you get to go as a grown-up just by yourself uh, and be still on this calm, you know, piece of water. And at the same time, at times, it can be really exhilarating, right? It's, it's this, this process of casting this lure into the deep unknown waters and waiting patiently to hopefully get a bite. The moment when something is on the end of that line and you, you rush to carefully set the hook and you find fight to just slowly and meticulously bring in the big fish. I like to fish in different places. Uh, anytime I travel somewhere, if there's an opportunity for me to get out and go fish, I love it because you, you pull something out of the water that you just didn't even know existed before. Uh, I love fishing different types and, and, and you know, techniques using different lures from deep sea fishing to, to fishing in quiet creeks in the mountains. There's just something that's really sacred about fishing for me. 
I remember when I was in high school, uh, I, I started to get into fly fishing. My dad wasn't a fly fisherman at all, uh, but he had this old rod that was given to him by his dad. And, and so he said, you should try it, you should do it. And so I got into it and I got like really nerdy about it. I actually started tying my own flies. So I bought all the stuff and the feathers and the string and, and was like making these little lures. And there was something really cool about that because not only were you like buying a lure and put you, you made something and then you watched, you could actually see the fish, look at what you made. And they're like, not bad, right? And they would swim up and eat it. And you're like, yes, I made something that you like. And now I'm going to eat you. Like that was fishing, fly fishing, which was super cool. Uh, but I loved it. And so I remember uh, after high school, graduating, I moved up to Calgary. And I came home for the summer. And I decided that uh, me and my friend John, we were going to go camping uh, just outside of, of Lethbridge in a little place called Lynx Creek in the Crow's Nest Pass. Uh, and so we, we traveled up there. And I was my, my goal was to share my love of fly fishing with John. He He'd never done it before. And so I thought, let's do this. Let's bring no food. Let's only eat what we catch. This is going to be super awesome. And so we, we set up camp right along the stream. I, I gave John all the stuff that he needed, kind of set him up where he was going to be. And then I, I moved down Creek just a little bit further to where I knew the fish were going to fight bite better on, on my side, of course. So everything was perfect. And, and I don't know if any of you, you're probably all mostly too young for this. Um, but remember the Goof Troop movies? With Goofy? Yeah, yeah. So, like, Goofy was a major fly fisherman, and that's maybe one of the inspirations for me is why I became a fly fisherman. Uh, but he would, like, just know how to flick that line so beautifully, and there's an art to it. If you've ever seen it, uh, you know, you're, you're in your hip waders, you're out in the water, it's calm, it's beautiful, and, and you just kind of start, it's almost like this dance, and the line just grows longer and longer, and so there I am, I'm, the line is growing, I just have this smile that's growing on my face, when all of a sudden I reach back one last time, and my hook snags on something. Now, in the moment before I had enough time to turn around, I realized four things. One, I had caught my hook on something behind me. Two, my friend John was screaming uncontrollably. <laughs> Three, after giving a couple hard tugs, I realized whatever my hook was caught in was not coming free. And four, I had just become more like Jesus wanted me to become, a fisher of men. I had caught my friend John in the cheek just below his eyeball with, I know it's awful and John hates the story when I tell it, but I caught him right in the cheek. And so after rushing over to John and, and having to push the hook through further so that we could actually find the barb and crack it off and then slide it out, uh, I could tell that John just didn't find it as funny as I did in that moment. But I love fishing. <laughs> I love it. And it's one of the reasons why anytime there's stories about fishing or fishermen in the Bible, they just kind of pop off the page to me because immediately I have, a, I have an emotional response to it. I can, I can imagine myself there. And so we have this story that we're going to kind of use as our main text to walk through this morning. It's found in Luke chapter 5. If you have a Bible with you or a device, I'd encourage you to go there and have it with you, have it open. Uh, but, but it's this, this moment where Jesus calls his three closest disciples uh, into mission with him. And it's a fishing story. And so if you don't have a Bible, it's going to be up on the screen. You can follow along there. That'd be great too. But Luke 5, starting uh, at verse 1. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. 
Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out onto the water. And so he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and we didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and they followed Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Now, imagine with me just being there for a moment, and this guy comes along, someone who you didn't know, but, but you'd been hearing rumblings of, you'd been hearing about uh, his movement, what he's kind of doing, he's stirring up a little bit of attention, and he asks you if he can borrow your boat, if he can take it. Now, Simon, who would later have his name changed to Peter, says, sure, and so Jesus floats out into the water, and he uses it as a bit of a, a makeshift stage to teach the crowd that's gathered and after he finishes his little sermon he turns back to Simon and he says now go out to where it's deeper and let your nets down for a catch now Peter we would assume he's actually really tired he describes to Jesus that that they'd been fishing all night their their fishing enterprise had worked all through the night and all for nothing he describes and not only that but this was their lake like, they were the experts of this lake. They knew it. They ran the business of catching the fish from this lake. And at this point, the fish were not to be caught. Now, I don't know about you, but at least for me, I right away resonate with this part of the story in that this is what, you know, my discussions with Jesus often kind of look like. Where Jesus invites me into something or calls me to do something. And, and I look at him and I say something like, yeah, sounds great, Jesus. Like, that's, that sounds like a really great idea, but, but like, I've tried that. Or I know these, these people, Jesus. I, I, I know this church. I know this part of the city. This isn't going to work. This door has, has already been closed. There's no point in us banging on it any longer. And I'm actually kind of tired. And so I just, I don't think it's going to work. You know, these moments where Jesus invites us into the incredible, and oftentimes, at least speaking for myself, we make excuses. But Jesus knows best, right? I mean, if we're real honest with, with ourselves, with, with understanding his word, with understanding him, Jesus knows best. And so effectively, he says to Peter, he says, I, I know, Peter, that, that you've been trying. I know that, that Peter, you came up empty. I know that you think that there's nothing else out there, but Peter, I just want you to trust me. Okay? Just, just trust me. And so Jesus invites Peter to try again. He says, go back out into the place that I'm telling you to go and put your nets back down. And we see Peter's response. He says, okay, but if you say so. Simply put, the earthly human response that I have within myself says, no, it's not worth it. But if you say so, then we'll go. 
And so with boldness, obedience, probably mostly, he sets back out to the place where Jesus told him to go. And I wonder if he kind of looks over his shoulder like, we'll see Jesus, right? And he sets down the nets once more. And then look again what it happens. Verse 6. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. Now this is incredible. And this should jump off the page. This, this is one of the things that I just love so much about Jesus. This whole idea that their, their nets begin to actually tear. And as I think about and, and, and meditate, reflect on this story, it strikes me over and over and over again. The nets that they had created were designed to hold far less than the bounty Jesus had provided them with. Far less. Now, this has always been my experience with Jesus. And maybe for some of you, you can relate. It's been the same. Where Jesus invites me, he invites you, he invites us into into his mission. He calls us. He invites us to be part of something that is just always way over our heads. And, And when I find myself right in the very place where it is that he wants me, oftentimes I feel like I'm just, I'm being torn apart. And I actually think that that's, often the point for Jesus, that that we need to live in places like this where we feel way over our head because honestly, it's in those moments and in those places where Jesus actually does the best work because Jesus is actually the one doing the work, right? There's there's no possible way that, that we can take any credit for it because it's beyond us. It's, it's bigger than we're able to accomplish. And so there he often works the best. I love this as well. The story goes on, verse 7. It says that Peter shouts for help. And again, I, I can just visualize it, right? You, you've been fishing all night. You caught nothing. The lake's empty. You're going along with Jesus. You're like, okay, Jesus, sure. I'll put the net in right where you're telling me. Sounds great. And all of a sudden, you look into the water and see more fish than you've ever seen in your entire life. And so this moment of both of shock, excitement, and panic strikes. And he screams out, help! Like he looks, guys, you got to get out of here. Help me. Now I remember being a kid and, and we used to fish in ice fishing tournaments. Uh, not super exciting. I, I enjoy ice fishing, but it's cold. Um, but we would fish in these tournaments and dad, I think would bring me because there was a chance that I could often win because we would catch fish and then they would just find the biggest one and give it to me. And I would take it and say that I caught it. It was a little dishonest. He didn't know Jesus. It's all good. Uh, and so we would do this, these tournaments. I remember we were fishing at this one and, and it was this lake, uh, just outside of Tabor. It's a little coolie, chin coolie. It's a man-made reservoir. Uh, but there was this fish in the lake that, that we called Walter. And we had had Walter on our line a few times, okay? Like, like Walter was the big one that you just knew he lurked, he lived there, and one day we were going to catch Walter. And so we're at this fishing tournament, it's time for me to drive over to the kind of main, you know, camping facility area where we can show and measure the fish and weigh the fish and all that sort of stuff. And so dad and one of his friends, they load me up in the fish and we head over there, we do the thing, I get the trophy, whatever, ribbon, I can't remember. We get back in the car, we drive, the tournament is still happening. There's still some time to, to catch some fish. And we're on the top of the coulee. We look down and what we see from up there is my dad's friend Brent sprinting to one of the ice holes. Okay. So there's a little hole. There's a tip up. It's, it's like underwater. It's gone. And Brent is sprinting. And so all of us in the car are like, oh, what's going on? Like what's happening? Is this? And so Brent gets there and, and all of a sudden from on top of the coulee, we hear as Brent's trying to pull this thing up, him scream, help. Like he has no idea what to do. Right. 
And so we're making our way down. He's fighting with this thing. And we're like, what is he doing? Why isn't he pulling this, this fish out of the hole? And so we, we park the truck and we start running out there just in time to see this silhouette of this beast swimming away. It had, it had broken through the steel leader on the end of this line because ultimately Brent was too afraid to reach down into the 10-inch cutout hole and grab the gills of the fish because it just wasn't fitting as he was trying to pull it out naturally and he was just too scared to do it. He was terrified and so there went Walter. Now, cool story. About uh, like three years ago, my dad caught Walter. I wish I would have brought a picture. I th- should have thought about that. But he caught Walter, a 43-pound northern pike out of Chinkulu. Just like crazy. He's bigger than my kids. It was awesome. Super good. Super good keeper. But Peter, he calls for help. Because he knows I'm not going to be able to accomplish this on my own. There's no chance that I'm going to be able to bring this load of fish into my boat and so he needs the help from his community in order to do so and so his friends they they paddle out in their boats to where he is and I'm sure he's just frantic and and so between their two boats they start loading the fish because they know one isn't going to be enough to to hold it and still we read that what what was loaded onto these boats was was bigger than their capacity as both boats were now on the verge of sinking you see, the, the vision and mission that Jesus calls us and invites us to be a part of is one that we cannot do or accomplish in isolation or on our own. We can't. It wasn't designed to be done that way. It was designed to happen in community. This is the very reason for community. This, this huge, massive call that Jesus gave to go into all of the world and tell the good news about Jesus Christ it is a mission and a vision that's, that's just simply too great. And so he's helping James and John and Andrew understand, hey, you're going to have to work together in this. You're going to be be fishing for people, and it's a a mission that's going to be huge, and it's going to require community and collaboration. Now, I've been talking about fishing for a long time, and I'm totally not oblivious to the fact that there may be several of you in this room who would say, I am not relating to this at all. I have never fished. I hate fishing. I don't like fishing. Maybe because you've never caught anything, which my dad would always tell me it's called fishing, not catching. And so you just, you just haven't processed that reality, but you just you don't like fishing. And so maybe you're feeling a little bit disconnected because you just don't live in this and the metaphor is a little bit lost on you. And that's totally okay. Because here's the deal. The invitation from Jesus to these men to be fishers of men was given to them because they were fishermen. <laughs> they were fishermen. And, and so for them, it was a metaphor that would have made complete and immediate sense. See, they would have known that, that when it comes to fishing, you need to know a little bit about the lake, about the environment. You need to know where the fish are. You need to know what kind of fish are in the lake. You need to know where the deep waters are and where the shallow waters could center their boats. They would have been the experts on the lakes. And now Jesus is helping them understand, you got to learn this new lake. you got to become experts on this different culture, understanding what the landscape is so that you're able to, to navigate it best for this new catch. They would have known what types of lures and nets to use, what was necessary to catch the types of fish that live in the water. And Jesus would go on through three years of of apprenticeship with them to teach them the strategy, the the means of which they they could help catch these new fish, the teaching and loving and the sharing his truth to best cast the net for this new type of fish. They would have known that, that you need patience 
to fish. That it's not a given that, that every time you cast your net, you're going to catch the fish. But they'd also know that, that if you don't ever cast the net, then you'll never catch the fish. Wayne Gretzky. They would get it. A need to, to know and to wait and to be patient. They'd understand that there's hazards when it comes to fishing. That it's actually a really dangerous career to be a part of. That it's not easy and oftentimes it's very unsafe. And the disciples would go on to learn this firsthand for themselves as the cost for the gospel for most of them was supreme. This is what Jesus was inviting them to be a part of. And friends, the, the same thing is, is what we're all invited to be a part of as well today. And this calling and invitation from, from Jesus paints the picture for us of this, again, huge vision. Something that's going to stretch us beyond the place that we can go alone. Thereby demanding the need for community and, and collaboration to help carry it with us. And even still we see through the lives of the disciples that, that it's something that's impossible for them to do without the supernatural. That, that left to our own plans and own devices, it's all meaningless. And we're unable to accomplish this without his supernatural intervention. But like Peter, we too must trust that in faith, God will put us right where God needs us to be for the sake of his mission. So... I want to make a bit of an assumption in light of this story, and the assumption is this, okay? Now, before you like, oh, thank goodness, I, stay with me, because I need to lead you here, okay? So, the assumption is this. I don't believe, I don't think that in this story we, we interpret it as Jesus is calling all of us to be fishers of men, okay? Just before you... Like, get upset with me or write emails to Rob on his sabbatical. Let me explain what I mean, okay? I don't believe that Jesus is calling all of us to be fishers of people. Now, I do actually fully believe that each of us have been called to be evangelists and to, to tell the story of Jesus, to share his truth to those all around us and to his kingdom's sake for his glory. But he called these four men to be fishers of men. I already said it because they were fishermen. He used a metaphor to, to help them understand his call towards mission. And he did the exact same thing throughout his ministry a couple times with, with farmers, right? The message was still the same. The, the farmer was to throw the seed everywhere, and some of the ground was too hard. It got choked up by weeds. Some was fertile, and it grew. The, the, the message was throw the seeds, plant the seeds, and let God do the rest of the work. And the farmers listening would have been nodding. Totally, we get this, right? Now, there might be more farmers in this room, maybe, than there are fishermen. Probably not. But we're not all called to be farmers for the sake of the gospel. See, here's what I believe Jesus is doing in, in and through this story. And friends, please don't miss this, okay? You see, Jesus never once called professionally trained religious experts to be his disciples. Right? Which is kind of shocking. He never showed up when he came on the scene and it was like, hey, time to get my team. I'm going to head down to the synagogue, the seminary, find the recent grads. I'm going to build the A team. Got to find somebody who's sick on guitar. Got to find somebody who's got great hair and can preach. Got to, like, I just, this is the team I'm going to. He didn't do that, right? And he could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, Jesus, what he did was, was he called artisans. And then he encouraged them that who they are and the skills that they had were serviceable for his kingdom. And so hear that again. Jesus called artisans and encouraged them that the skills they already had were serviceable, could be useful for his kingdom. 
I think this is the picture that's most clearly painted for us in this story. You see, if Jesus had been walking along and and seen James and John and Peter, and, and they were carpenters building a house, I think that Jesus would have said something like, hey, stop building buildings for the sake of buildings and start building into people. Or rather than building people's kingdoms, come with me and build God's kingdoms. If, if Peter and his friends were jewelers, I think he would have invited them to stop making jewels for this world, but start fashioning jewels that would last for all of eternity. If Peter and his crew were teachers, Jesus probably would have said, stop teaching the philosophies of this world and start teaching the philosophies of the world to come. If Peter and his crew were lawyers, he probably would have gone looking for someone else. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. The point is this, Jesus wanted to show the disciples that the understanding for the world that they had in regards to fishing was serviceable for the sake of his kingdom. This is a call to to mission, it's not a call to fishing, and that call is the call that each and every one of us has been given by him. If you remember, the great commission from Jesus at the very end of the gospels was, was straightforward but complex. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. It's a massive vision. All the world, not just this select, you know, people group Israel anymore. The the barriers have been broken. It's for the entire world. It's a mission that's far too big, even with community alone for us to do. But the promise Jesus made at the very end of that commission was, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. You're not going to do it alone. I'm going to be with you. And so what this means really practically is this. Jesus looks at you. And how you're wired, how you're built. He looks at your career, the thing you do for a living. He looks at your interests and your hobbies. He looks at your education and experience. And he invites you to see all of that in a different way. He invites you to use your existing skills and abilities for the sake of his kingdom. Not to learn and develop new and different and other skills. Each of us has value for God's kingdom exactly the way that you've been created. And in line with the things that you are the most passionate about. And so imagine with me what it might look like if your job could be more than just a paycheck could be more than just a job? Or what if your, your schooling could be more than just an education? What if the, the relationships you have were, were more than just friendships? What if your retirement could be more than just golf and retiring? See, here's what I'm convinced of. When your passions and skill sets intersect with God's vision and mission, the incredible happens. That's the sweet spot. You know, when people go through life and they they find themselves in a place wondering, what am I supposed to do here? Often they they haven't figured this out yet, right? They haven't seen and discovered the places where their passions and skill sets intersect with God's vision and mission. And when they do, all of a sudden they discover this profound purpose that they never knew existed before. When your passions and skill sets intersect with God's vision and mission, the incredible happens. This is exactly what the calling for the fishermen reveals for us. Now, 
I've been in church work for about 15 years as a youth pastor. I'm, I, I disagree with ever growing up. I'm going to do it as long as the Lord will let me do it. Uh, but I know for a fact that, that the churches I've been a part of at least have done a disservice to God's kingdom by creating a really limited number of job descriptions, right? It's like, hey, I, I think I want to serve. And it's like, great, you got to love kids. And you're like, nope. Well, you got to like shaking hands. Nope, not okay with that either. Well, you got to learn the guitar then. Sorry. <laughs> Don't got any hands. Right? Like, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to engage? We've, we've done a disservice to God's kingdom by, by creating a very limited number of job descriptions for people to step into in, in order to be used for God's kingdom. I remember when I, I pastored years ago in Calgary, uh, we had a family who owned a, a mechanics shop, and they got this. They, they, they believed in this. For them, their passion, their skills was, was fixing cars, repairing vehicles. And they knew for a fact that their passion for, for automobiles could intersect with God's vision and mission. And so they allowed it to do so. And so they would look for ways and opportunities to use their shop on mission. They'd fix cars for people who they knew could not ever afford to have a reliable vehicle. And then they'd let them know there's no charge. Because they just believed that they were called to love the least of these because someone somewhere told them that. They cared for us as pastoral staff, knowing, hey, if we can release the burden of all this for you guys who live on these, you know, smaller than normal salaries, we, we can help you be freed up to just push and do mission. And so they served. They used their gifts and abilities for God's vision and mission. It's profound. I don't know if any of you have, have ever come into contact with a ministry called International Justice Mission. But here you have this group of lawyers. Now I'm going to make it up to lawyers right now. If there's any lawyers in the room, now I'm going to apologize and make it up to you. But there's a group of lawyers in our world that have a heart and vision for justice. And they've allowed their, their passions and skills for, for administration and details and law to, to intersect with God's vision and mission. And they're dedicating their lives to see that justice is, is played out all over the world in helping free people from slavery and sex trafficking in, in the darkest parts of our world. They get it. I know hockey dads who see their love for the sport and their, their place as coach on a team to be a place on mission. They've aligned their passions and their skill sets with God's vision and mission, and the incredible is happening. And so my question for each of you, just to kind of think through, process a little bit today, is what's my fishing? What is my fishing? What are my passions and, and skill sets? And how and where can those skill sets intersect with God's vision and mission? Because where that happens, the incredible takes place. And so my invitation for you is, would you let them? You know, I haven't been super connected to, to your church for sure. I've, I've got to know Rob a little bit. Um, Colin has been a guy that I've got to know. Mike, I'm getting like, there's stuff that's happening here. This is exciting. I was here about a year ago uh, with Beverly. And I know some of you were, were here then too. And, and you know, what God has done and how he's blessed this community, this new church, the new life that's happening here. There's exciting things that are taking place. You know, the story is in, in October, you're opening and making more room, another service. All of this is going to bring with it significant needs for this church. And so, you know, as, as a guy who's just kind of flying in, not literally drove here, uh, but I drove in, 
and I'm going to drive back home to my church and work in my office this afternoon. I, I'm just a voice kind of imploring, but I, I would hope that you'd hear it maybe as, as God's word as well. Friends, don't, don't just be spectators in this season. Crosspoint needs you. The way that you are, how you're wired, the passions and skills, the, the place in your industry, the, the connections to people in the community, they need all of it to accomplish the, the vision and mission of this place and for the, for the sake of the gospel and for God's kingdom here on earth. And so now is the time more than ever to step up and step in. And I'd encourage you, you know, talk to the, the team here, process what that could look like, uh, but, but step up and be involved. Don't just be a spectator. Now, as I wrap up, I want to just give a little bit of a different invitation because here's the deal. I know when, when like something like this is talked about, we have different responses. And so I tried to anticipate what would be some of the responses that people might have to this message. The first, you know, is, is kind of common. We can be fired up, right? And it's like, oh, I feel motivated. I'm gonna, I want to do something. I'm going to talk to Mike. I'm going to talk to Colin. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to phone Rob and he's not going to answer you because he's on sabbatical, so leave him alone. But when he comes back, I'm going to talk to Rob and it's going to be awesome and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I'm going to charge. I'm going to make this happen. And if that's the case, awesome. Like, we don't need anything else. I, I've kind of, you know, you, you go. Like, we're done here, right? Like, Perfect. I'll pray for you and you just, you start going. Don't, don't waste that. The second response is we can just kind of go, cool, whatever. Sounds good. Another salsa speaker, is that what I'm called? Coming and, and giving another talk and whatever. Sounds good. It's entertaining for a little bit. Maybe maybe wasn't kind of boring. Whatever. That can be a response. And that's totally fine. I'm happy that you're here and you're part of this. And, and if that's your response, no problem. But but my job isn't actually to like change you from there. That's God's work. And so I'm going to hope and pray. And at the end, I'm going to pray for you that God would, would maybe shape you and change you and, and, and bring you into that camp of motivation as well. Um, but then there's this third response. And I know oftentimes I have this response to stuff like this. And it's a response that, that, that kind of after looking at myself, looking at my life, you know, holding it up to, you know, what, you know, God is saying. And, and I start to feel a little bit insecure. Or I start to feel maybe even like guilty. Something starts to creep in. And, and I, I get discouraged because I think things like, I've wasted so much time. What's the point in starting now? Or I've been a spectator up until this point. Like, it's kind of weird for me. I've been around for a long time. For me to now step in and say, okay, like, count me in. I feel that, like, I'm weird. that's weird. I don't want to do that. Or, or maybe on the flip side, it's, you know, I don't feel like I have anything to offer. Like, like I kind of, I've bought into that lie that there's this limited number of job descriptions for God's kingdom. And I don't line up with any of those. And so I, God couldn't use me in what I have. Or, or maybe even worse, there's this lie that creeps in that says, I'm not worthy. I've made a little bit too much of a mess of my life. And there's no way that God could redeem my story and then do something with me. Like I just, I have to be a spectator because I've blown it up until this point. And so let me just wrap up by speaking to those of you who feel like that's you right now in this moment with one more Father's Day fishing story, okay? This is a story that's found at the very end of the Gospel of John. So Jesus, he's just been crucified. The mighty mission that he had, he had begun for his disciples, it actually appears to them at first glance to be thwarted, to be over. And so listen to the story. John 21, starting at verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. 
And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and the other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out into the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Now, if this sounds like a really familiar story, it should. This is the same people. It's the same lake. It's the same circumstances. They fished all night. They didn't catch anything. But listen again to what happens. At dawn, or again, after fishing all night, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows or friends, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and then you'll get some. And so they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And then there's just this beautiful moment where it, where it clicks for Peter. And again, just imagine this moment. Imagine hearing that, that familiar voice calling out. And I, I just picture the hair on the back of their necks starting to stand in anticipation. They would have immediately, emotionally flashed back to that very first moment, that very first call, the moment that started everything for them. And so upon realizing everything is, is coming back to where it was before, Peter actually flips out. He strips down. It can't be. He jumps into the water. He swims toward the shore. And he charges to Jesus. He's back. Jesus is back. And, and the mission that we thought was over, that, it was, that was destroyed, has now been proven to be even more powerful than ever, more powerful than the, the very grave itself. And here is Jesus. And so they have this, this moment together, all the disciples. And then later that night, Peter actually gets invited by Jesus just for some one-to-one some -one solo time around the fire. Look at verse 15. So they just eaten some of the fish that they caught. When they were finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord... You know everything. You know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Three times, Jesus asks Peter to confess his love out loud. Say it, Peter. Tell me that you love me more than anything. And though in this moment, Peter initially feels hurt, I'm certain that later, processing everything that had happened and gone on over the course of the last week, he would have seen the power of this conversation because we know it was exactly three times that Peter denies Jesus after his arrest to save his own skin, going as far as to say he doesn't even know the man at all. Three denials that Jesus actually said were going to happen even before they happened. And so what Jesus is doing here right now is he's powerfully revealing for Peter, Peter, it's okay. Your, your story, Peter, might have been up until this point, one of fear and intimidation and, and helplessness and hopelessness. But, but Peter, I am Jesus and I am the great redeemer, the restorer. And again, I'm here now, Peter, to recommission you. Feed my sheep. Serve my mission. And if we know the rest of the story, we know that he did it. That it's because of Peter's faith and his obedience and his dedication, radical dedication to the mission, 
and those who are with him, that, that we now have a place like this. This community exists because he stood in the gap. And he went and he served to the best of his abilities. And so if you're here today and you feel like you're inadequate for God's mission, think about Peter, the simple fisherman, given the ride of his life, who seemed to just come undone at the end of Jesus' life, denying all knowledge and experience of him. And yet Peter was powerfully used for God's mission. He was recommissioned. And so friends, as we conclude here, just hear me very carefully. You are never too far from God's redemption to be disqualified for God's mission, ever. You are never too far from God's redemption to be disqualified for God's mission. In fact, it's only the redemption of Jesus Christ that qualifies you for his mission. Nothing else. Not how many Bible studies you attend. Not how many Sundays you make it to here at Christ. Nothing. It's only the redemption of Jesus' saving work on the cross that qualifies you for his mission, period. And so if you're here today and you've been uninvolved in God's mission or have walked away from God's mission or felt discredited towards God's mission or inadequate for God's mission, hear me very clearly. You can start now. You can start, you could start today. You could be recommissioned with that great vision again. And Jesus invites you personally, intimately. Allow your passions and skill sets to intersect with his great vision and mission. And then just start to see the incredible take place. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for this community. Uh, thank you for the gift of, of your word that's been just powerfully preserved for us, that we, we have it. We don't take it for granted. We have it abundantly. And God, thanks that it's active, that it's alive, that it continues to teach and lead and, and implore and direct. And, and God, I just, I, I want to pray for this community. I'm, I'm grateful uh, to have had a glimpse into what you're doing here over the last couple of years. It's clear that you have a plan for Beverly, for this part of our city. And you've positioned Crosspoint here for a time such as this. I believe that. But Crosspoint is not just a building with a new, uh, with a new name on the front of it. Crosspoint is the people who find themselves in these walls. And so God, I pray that you would invite us, encourage us, implore us, lead us to step up, to rise up, to stand in the gap and to be used by you powerfully for your sake and for your mission. And so give us the sweetness, uh, give us the motivation, give us your spirits empowering and enabling to do what only you can do. And for those of us here who, who wrestle with feeling adequate or able or good enough or ready God, with the sweetness of your word, the invitation, your care and, and concern and love for Peter, would that draw us back closer to you? And may we be recommissioned by you for your sake and for your glory. So God, use Crosspoint in powerful ways to impact our city. We pray this in Jesus' name. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, 
thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.